Welcome to Chapter 2 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Rick Follett, CIO at Good Samaritan Health System. In this segment, Follett talks about why the ICD-10 delay ended up being a positive, the recent revamp of the HIM department, and how outsourcing to McKesson has helped recruit top talent. As far as meaningful use stage 2, what do you think were um, some of the uh, more significant challenges? Uh, I would say in, in part because we chose the observation services method and we do not have our EHR fully live yet in our emergency department. Um, some of the CPOE numbers that are counted uh, regardless of the setting in which it occurred, as long as they are an inpatient or an observation patient, our radiology orders are very often executed in the emergency department before admission. So that's been one other area where we've had to keep a close tab on how well we're doing and are, are we remaining above the threshold. It's been a challenge, but we've been able to do it. And what is, what's the status at this point as far as having that, that ER uh, system up? Uh, we, just last year, we changed the physician group that uh, manages patients in our ER and that delayed our implementation of the electronic health record there. So we are, we are in the process of doing that right now and uh, hope to, by the end of this calendar year, have them live on all the aspects that will uh, ensure that we'll, we'll have CPOE for the full services that we would provide an inpatient. Right. Now, as far as uh, ICD-10, what's your strategy and, and was it affected by the delay? At first, I was a little disappointed by the delay, but uh, honestly, with the Meaningful Use Stage 2 and our due diligence efforts, it was a welcome delay. It enabled us to uh, take some of the pressure off as we were revamping portions of our, our HIM department. But we had a project underway um, more than a year ago, uh, brought some outside services in to help manage the project do the uh, gap assessment and lay out what systems needed to be upgraded and at what release level they would become compliant. With that plan in place and other projects underway, for example, we added a system for computer-assisted coding and are now in a position where we can begin to dual code both ICD-9 and 10. And we're, we will have a much longer history and experience with that having that one-year delay, so it's not so much under the gun as it would have otherwise been. Right. In a sense, I would say the delay has benefited us, although it did cost us more money because it does tend to um, elongate, especially parts of the project where you have to have outside resources engaged. So it cost a little bit more, but in the end, I believe it will have been worth it. Right. That's an interesting thing to, to deal with. As a CIO, I would imagine that, you know, you have this delay and, you know, you're operating under the assumption and telling your staff that, okay, this, this is the drop-down date and it isn't really. So I'm sure that kind of puts you in an interesting spot. It did at first, uh, but I think uh, everybody adjusted very quickly to uh, a little bit less pressure and, and concern for this coming October 1st. Uh, so I think... The, especially in the HIM department, um, they are, are, I think, in a better place now knowing that they have a little more time and can be more confident with the dual coding results that they get. 
Uh, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, too, that there was a clinical documentation improvement effort underway for the last two or three years leading up to this so that we could have that dialogue with the documenting physicians to ensure that they knew how to uh, fully explain what it is they're doing or the condition of the patient so that it meets the documentation rules and enables us to succeed with an ICD-10 code. Okay. Was that the uh, clinical documentation improvement effort? Was that something that was driven by the clinicians? That was actually driven by our HIM department. Okay. And and you said that that was uh, recently revamped. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, we had um, we had a period of time where the the project was warming up and it became very successful, and in fact, uh, you know, in spite of what it cost us to do that, uh, it improved our documentation to the point where we saw reimbursement uh, improvements as well. So it was definitely worth the effort. Now, we've gone through a period of some turnover. I think when you announced that you are going to seek affiliation with a larger system, there were a few folks here who took that as an opportunity to look elsewhere. So the revamping is really more about uh, rebuilding the staff there and and putting the project back on track. And then as far as, uh, you know, the relationship between HIM and clinicians, is that something that's went pretty well? Like uh, if if HIM says we need to improve this, that's something that's, that's received well enough by the clinicians? Generally, yes. We have an excellent relationship with our clinicians. Uh, Most every one of them are credentialed only at our hospital, and they're fully committed to our community. So it hasn't been a really tough sell. Uh, They do tend to work very well with us, and uh, I think that's that's been really the, the secret to such a successful program. Okay. Now, as far as um data exchange with outside organizations. Are you involved in any HIE at this point? Not with an HIE. We have instead used the direct messaging method and are communicating directly through HISPs with our community physicians and uh, one other hospital where we've done some testing, uh, a larger uh, hospital that does have the uh, trauma centers where we might occasionally send a patient who uh, who needs that level of service. Okay. Are you doing anything as far as telehealth or remote monitoring, or do you plan to do anything on that front? We're not doing anything at this time, but um, we'll, that will become part of the discussion when we reach uh, that level with, of planning with affiliation. Personally, I would prefer to look to... to the methods and the standards, the infrastructure that the larger system is using and simply replicate that. Right. Okay. It it seems like one of those things that there's so many organizations who want to do it, but it's just, you know, again, having the resources to be able to to have a a successful telehealth program and, of course, you know, just just the the funding aspect. Mm -hmm. Well, I believe a telehealth, any telehealth project is going to be very likely tied closely to their efforts for population health management as a way of perhaps uh, monitoring and even uh, predicting when somebody may be going in a direction that an an interventional service could prevent um, a more acute outbreak of whatever their condition is. Right. It's one of those really uh, cool uses of technology that will be great to see, uh, you know, come to fruition a bit more. It it is, and I'm hoping that as uh, 
accountable care and other health care reform efforts uh, take shape, that there will be some way of some better way than simply the accountable care organizations to uh, be rewarded financially for taking those steps. Because as it stands now, uh, unless you're in an ACO, uh, there you, you may take steps to prevent somebody from um, becoming acutely ill, but there is uh, virtually no reimbursement for that. Is that something you've looked into as far as joining an ACO? Again, that's something I think we're too small of a scale to yeah. to take the lead on something like that ourselves, and and it would be a good reason for the affiliation. Okay, so I wanted to, to talk a little bit about leadership and uh, you know staff management, and uh, there are so many organizations around the country, especially those on the smaller side, that do have some difficulty with retaining and, and recruiting uh, top people, and is that something that's been a challenge for you? Well, yes and no. Uh, we have outsourced our IS department to McKesson, so they provide our almost our entire IS department. There are a few select positions that are uh, hospital employees, mine being one of them, and uh, another person who is our uh, physician informatics manager, uh, really helping to um, bridge that technology to the actual patient care use of the technology. That's been a very successful approach, but within the IT department, because McKesson's such a large company, when there are openings, they do have a tendency to, to be able to attract individuals who we might not otherwise have visibility to because of their size. Right. Uh, okay. And then as far as you know, just being able to, to hold on to people, do you have anything, any kind of programs in place, whether it's uh, education or um, anything like that? Well, much of that we rely on McKesson for, um, but we do okay. encourage certain aspects of, of their some kind of a work-life balance, uh, which is uh, always challenging in, in this field, especially as the pressures for increasing automation are greater and greater, and we simply don't have enough qualified staff across the country to meet everybody's needs. And McKesson's been very good about rewarding their staff for uh, excellent performance. Uh, we do tend to um, recognize those people who have gone above and beyond uh, frequently and educational opportunities are actually built into their staffing plan. So they've done a fairly good job of uh, keeping people uh, employed. Uh, we've had some turnover, and when we've had that turnover, it, it hasn't always been um, negative for us. We've, they usually are able to replace the person with somebody equally qualified and occasionally someone with a bit more experience. Right. You mentioned work-life balance, and that's something that that I can really imagine is a challenge. Like you said, with with all the uh, the pressures to do so much, and is that something that's been uh, a challenge for you personally? What has, and I think if I if I reflect on the, the staff too, I would I would want to point out that those who work most closely with the clinicians and closer to the patient are more likely to see. The, the benefit of their their activities and, and their efforts. So I've, I've heard others say that uh, healthcare IT is a calling, not a career. And I think that's especially true for those of us who get to work closely with clinicians and patients. 
for those who are more on the technical side, um, managing servers and, and tech, uh, computer technology, they rarely get a chance to get that close to the patient. Uh, but So it's a, a very important for us to keep them aware of how well the uh, patient experience is, is benefited by the, their efforts and, and the work that they do. Right. Work-life balance is, um, I have five grandchildren, so I think they help me. I have a picture of them on my desk, so it, it helps me to see them frequently to remember that uh, there is uh, life outside of the office. Oh, that's great. And I, I had uh, talked to a CIO a little bit ago who said that it's one of those things where if you can manage to make sure that you have some kind of work-life balance, that that's a really it's a great example for your team, and it kind of almost like gives them permission to, to say, you know, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time off or I'm going to leave at this time. Absolutely, and I think um, one of the things I occasionally worry about are the, the overachievers who really um, give it their all and uh, occasionally have to remind them that it's time to take a bit of a break or we have to plan uh, some gap in their responsibilities to allow them time off so they can recharge and refuel. I think it benefits uh, benefits them personally, and I do care very much about that. Uh, but I, when they come back and they feel refreshed, I think everybody is better be- because of that. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.